Welcome to the Devoted City Church podcast. Our mission is to help people find, trust, and follow Jesus. To learn more about our church, visit devotedcity.com. In today's episode, you'll hear a message from our lead pastor, Donnie Williams, or a member of our teaching team. Well, hey, good morning, everybody. Thanks for being here at Devoted City Church today. There's a lot of other things you could have done this morning, but you chose to be here with us, and we really appreciate it. Like the video said, we're in this series called The Jesus I Never Knew. And what we've been talking about is th- uh, two chapters that addresses seven different churches in the first century in the book of Revelation. The number seven means complete, so these messages are not just for a church 2,000 years ago. Uh, They're for all churches for all time. Let's pray before we jump in to this next section. God, thank you so much for your word, the encouragement that it brings us, the challenge that it brings us, and may we hear uh, your words today over the next several minutes. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. One thing that we all have in common, we need encouragement. When I first started getting on stage and speaking, I I used to think, how could I put together enough words to talk for 30 minutes? Now it's like, how can I put together enough words to just talk for 30 minutes? But I would have, I had this one friend that I would say, look, you need to tell me how it went. Like, I need to know. I need, just tell me how it went. I need to know. And some weeks uh, he would say, that was great. Great job. I could tell that you researched a lot and you thought about it and you put your notes together well and you had it locked in your brain. Uh, And some weeks he would say, "Uh, you didn't have a lot of time this week, did you? You had a lot of other stuff going on. We all need encouragement where we feel like somebody else is saying to us, hey, it's gonna be okay. Hey, I I know that things are tough, but it's not always gonna be tough. I know some things are hard to hear, but they're not always gonna be hard to hear. There was a high school student a few years ago did a project where she took pictures of people and she just said, I wanna take your picture. So she snapped a picture and then she said, hey, you're beautiful. And then she snapped another picture. And here's just a few of them uh, that were published of people that were, thought they were just getting their picture taken and then they received some encouragement. Look at the difference. It's like, oh, I gotta take my picture. You're beautiful. Oh, wow, thanks. We all need that kind of encouragement. We all need to hear that. We all need to, to know that we're not alone, to know that someone else sees us. See, their facial expressions are different because they need encouragement. I have this file on my computer. It's just titled, Encouragement. And some days I may feel down, not, not really, I don't, like, not a lot of people complain to me or anything like that. It's just some days I just feel like, can I do this? Am I doing the right thing? Uh, can I say this? Should I say this? And I just find myself uh, full of discouragement, mostly because of my inner self-talk, like many of us, And I'll pick up that file, I'll call it up on my computer, and I'll just read through encouragements that people have sent or said to me, and it changes my mood. All of us need that. Not only do all of us need to receive that, all of us need to give that. Do you know when we encourage somebody else, uh, we actually infuse courage into another person. Encouragement can provide It can provide the strength to go on. It can help you take a really dark day 
and start to see brightness. I mean, think of a time in your life when you were encouraged by somebody to just keep going. That somebody said, hey, you're doing a really good job. I know it's hard, but you're doing a good job. Or you have what it takes. It feels really good. I can remember specific teachers who would say to me, hey, you're really good at that. And it would encourage me. I can remember words of encouragement given to me by my grandparents or my parents. Like very specific words that they said. Encouragement is how coaches get players to perform at their highest level. It's through encouragement saying, you may not feel like it, but you can do it. And encouragement is how parents burn positive memories into the hearts of their kids. And as we've gone through uh, this series, uh, Jesus has said some pretty harsh things to these churches. Like in your face, if you've been here every week, has Jesus said some in your face stuff? And then here I've committed to teaching it and now I've got to say what Jesus said. It's like, wow, about the time I got where I was thinking, I don't want to do that again. I want to talk about joy or something in this next church in Philadelphia in the modern day country of Turkey comes up. And in this church, Jesus does hit them right between the eyes, boldly and even harshly, but it's with encouragement. It's with telling them, I see what you're doing. It's gonna be okay. The future is bright. And other churches in this series, he's given some strong words of rebuke. But this one, he's giving strong words of encouragement. Their need for encouragement must have outweighed everything else because they couldn't have been perfect because they were human. They were living in an ungodly culture, so there's no way they were perfect, but Jesus only gave them encouragement and no confrontation. See, Jesus realizes something that we would do well to realize, that parents would do well to realize, is that not every sin needs to be confronted in every conversation. Yes, parents, we have to confront our kids because uh, their frontal lobe hasn't developed and they can't make good decisions without confrontation and without us giving them direction. But we can't just bring up what they do wrong in every conversation. And it's the same thing with Jesus. He doesn't bring up their sin because they would have had it. He encourages them because they were down and they needed it and they needed lifted up. The church in Philadelphia is recorded in Revelation chapter three, beginning at verse seven. It says this, to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, these are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. What he opens, no one can shut, and what he shuts, no one can open. I know your deeds. See, I've placed before you an open door that no one can shut. I know that you have little strength, yet you have kept my word and not denied my name. I will make those who are of the synagogue of Satan who claim to be Jews, though they are not, but are liars. I will make them come and fall down at your feet and acknowledge that I have loved you. Since you have kept my command to endure patiently, I will also keep you from the hour of trial that is going to come on the whole world to test the inhabitants of the earth. I'm coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. 
The one who is victorious, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will they leave it. I will write on them the name of my God and the name of the city of my God. The new Jerusalem, which is coming out, coming down out of heaven from my God, and I will also write on them my new name. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And so everyone, he ends letting them know this is a message for the churches, not just this one. He's using this one as an example, but this is a message for everyone. And this, this ancient city of Philadelphia, which is in the modern day country of Turkey, was the smallest of the seven cities. It's also the least amount of ruins that you could go see today. And some of the other cities, uh, they've uncovered a lot of ruins. They can kind of reconstruct and, and uh, make models of what it looked like. That's not the case with Philadelphia. Nothing's there. The churches aren't, the church isn't there. There's some columns from the seventh century from, a, from the Basilica of St. John, but nothing else is left. In those verses I just read, here's the message he's giving to the church. He's saying, don't give up when you're weak. We're all gonna experience weakness. Everybody's gonna be discouraged. Don't give up, keep going. He says, don't give up, lean on Jesus and look for opportunities. That's what he's telling them. Because if you're discouraged, the church should be the place where you receive encouragement. If it's not the place where you receive encouragement, either you or the church have a problem. Because this is the place, the family of God, even though people know our weaknesses, even though they know our bad attitudes, even though they know the worst things about us, they also become a source of encouragement. That's what the church is for. And the balance of encouragement to confrontation always need to, needs to tilt towards encouragement. And I know over the last few weeks, it might felt like, I don't think it has. I'm not sure if it has. But if you take the entire New Testament, I'm just talking about two and a half chapters of big challenges in your face conversations that we need to have, things that we need to confront. But the first century church didn't just receive that. They also received encouragement and so should we. In fact, when the Apostle Paul was writing to the church in the first century, he gave them kind of a list so they would know how to balance challenge and encouragement. Here's what he says to the church in, in Thessalonica. He says, in Thessalonica, he says this. And we urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle and disruptive, encourage the disheartened, help the weak, be patient with everyone. Now he says, hey, you need to warn people if they're idle or if they're disruptive, you need to warn them. You need to say the harsh words that need to be said. They need to be put out there. It needs to happen. But then the weight of his command goes towards encouragement. He says, encourage people who are disheartened. Help the weak. Be patient with everyone. So the weight is toward helping people get through difficult times, helping people deal with difficult things in life. And then he says, look, I, I hold the key of David. Like I've got the key of David. Now what that means to us is probably nothing. 
But a first century former Jew would have understood that when the name of David was brought up, that's King David, and that recognized David's kingship, his lordship, his rule, his dominion. And so then that was applied to Jesus, not just in a physical sense, but in a spiritual sense. And that's a big picture of who Jesus is, who he was to them and who he can be to us. So saying the keys of David means Jesus has lordship, Jesus has dominion. So whatever I believe, it needs to come from Jesus, not from inside of me or somewhere else. However, I treat others, that needs to come from Jesus. Uh, whatever positions I take about anything in the world, that needs to come from Jesus, not from somewhere else. See, if Jesus is small in your life, if he's just an hour on Sunday, your problems are gonna get bigger. But if Jesus is big in your life, your problems will get smaller. When times are hard, when times are hurtful, when times are confusing, this, we're being told you lean on Jesus, you lean on the church. And so for this church in Philadelphia, times were hard, times were difficult, times were confusing. They were struggling. And he says this, I know your deeds. See, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. I know that you have little strength, yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. Now, we still use that language today, open door, closed door. Like if, you, if you're pursuing something, whether you're trying to purchase something or new career change or figuring out where you want to go to school or where you want to live, it's like, well, God opened the door, so I did that. Well, God closed the door, so I didn't do that. That, that way of speaking was all over the New Testament. When God opens a door in our life, truly opens a door, not just gives us what we want, but when he opens a door, it's always for our good. And when he closes one, whether we like it, understand it, uh, or indifferent to it, it's always our protection. Opening is for our good, closing of a door is for our protection. And so the first encouragement he gives them is, I know your deeds. I see how hard you're working. And when I read that, I was thinking about, I thought about it this morning when I drove in. It was still dark, and I wasn't the first one here. There were people here getting everything ready so the day would be a great experience for the rest of us. And you don't know them. You may not know that. You may never see that. But there are people that show up to make sure this day is ready for everybody else. And you know who you are. And I saw you this morning. And that's what God is saying to them. He's saying, look, I, I know things are tough but I know what you're doing, I see it. Even if you think nobody else knows, Jesus sees what you do. If you feel like, well, I'm just doing all this good stuff and I never get any encouragement, and Jesus says, I know what you do, and I see it. And in the middle of this church being discouraged, somehow they never stopped working for Jesus, they practiced patience, they never denied him, and they didn't do that to gain salvation. They did it to express their faith in him. And because of that, he gave them 
this, what's expressed in this phrase, an open door. Every time an open door is used in the New Testament, it's not about small decisions in life. Although it, it's correct to say God provided an opportunity or not, God did not provide an opportunity. That's correct to say, but what this is referring to is what the apostle Paul used when he said, uh, God opened a door for me to go to that city and share the gospel. God closed a door so I knew not to go to that city and he opened a door for this city to share the gospel. So according to scripture, open doors refer to God ordained opportunities to share the gospel. And so he's telling this discouraged church, hey, I have a door open for you. Nobody can shut it. It's open and it's an opportunity. And the city of Philadelphia did have a great opportunity to share the gospel that was different than the opportunities other churches had. The city of Philadelphia was on uh, the Persian Royal Road. It was a gateway city. So a lot of people had to travel to it to go from east to west to get out to the coast, which meant because a lot of people went through there, it was a lot of opportunity to share the gospel. And in the middle of their weakness, Jesus is saying, look, I know you're weak right now, but I've got this opportunity for you. I've placed you in a place where you can make a difference. And I want to encourage you that you can have an impact on the world. And that should encourage all of us because on our weakest day, the power of Christ can still work in us and through us. Your weakest day, when you feel like nothing's working right, when you feel spiritually weak or even spiritually dead, on those weakest days, the power of Christ can still work in you and can still work through you. And that's what's happening to this church. This made me think about where we are geographically. Because I have friends who are pastors around the country, and some of them are in cities that nobody wants to live in. And everybody's leaving. Like their population is changing, but it's on the negative side. And they give me a hard time like, well, great. I'd love to live where everybody wants to live, where everybody's moving. That must be hard, Donnie. Must be difficult. But think about the opportunity in front of us because we live in a prosperous state, we live in a prosperous city. Uh, we're located in prosperous zip codes. Think about the opportunity. If I did a show of hands, I'm not going to do it, but if I did a show of hands and said, how many OG Raleigh people do we have in the room? It would not be a lot of hands. Most of us are from somewhere else and we came here. What an opportunity God's given us to live in a place where you are around neighbors that probably didn't grow up here, that probably don't have uh, parents and grandparents for their kids in town. Guess what you could become for them and to them? I could go just my neighbors. None of them are from here. They're all from somewhere else. And yours are probably the same way. Look at the door God has opened so you can share the gospel with people that need community, that need family, that need relationship because they didn't grow up and they're not around all their buddies they grew up with. What a great opportunity. You know, our Cary campus is right in the middle. Uh, it's, it's on the west side of Cary, uh, down kind of near Apex. And that's a very... Uh, diverse area nationality-wise. 
I mean, there's people from all over the world. They come mostly in the tech industry and they come to work and they don't know anybody. And on top of that, they don't even know our weird culture and how things work here, which we think it's awesome. But the rest of the world goes, that's weird the way that works. And they show up and they need community. We have this wall when you walk into our Cary building, if you've ever been there, this is a picture of it. It says, welcome to Devoted City. Those are all the nationalities that we know of that are represented in the seats on Sunday morning. So when they walk in the door, whatever language they speak, they see it. And they all helped us make sure that those uh, languages you may not recognize, make sure that, they, that it says, welcome. But what an opportunity we have as a church to be at a place and have this open door to share the gospel where everybody is showing up. See, we can look at, every day we can get up and we can look for obstacles or we can look for opportunities. That's your choice every day. No matter who you are, no matter how successful or unsuccessful you are, tomorrow morning when you wake up, you have an opportunity, you have an option. You either go out and look for obstacles that are gonna discourage you or you look for opportunities that will encourage you. And every single one of us in this room, no matter how difficult things might be for you right now, we have opportunities in front of us to continue to move the mission of Christ forward in our time and in our city and in your neighborhood. We all have that. And God has said, hey, devoted city, I have placed you in front of you an open door that no one can close. That's what he's done for us. And that's what he had done for this church in Philadelphia, even in their discouragement. His charge to them is this. You have little power, but you've kept my word. And he tells them, you haven't denied my name in spite of. Because they would have lived around a very ungodly culture just like all the other churches did that we talked about. There would have been the worship of Caesar. There would have been the worship of false gods. All the stuff we've talked about up until this point would have been around these people just like it was around everyone else, but they kept his word and did not deny his name. And the same challenge is before us. As our culture goes further and further and further and further into ungodliness, the challenge to us is stay true to Christ, stay true to his word, and not deny his name. And that's not denying his name uh, in the way we believe, in the things we support, in the things that we would applaud. These people weren't doing that in spite of it being all around them. In their culture, it would have been easy to give up. And sometimes ours is the same way. It would be easy to give up. Jesus uses a phrase in the next uh, verses with them that he'd used before, uh, and he uses it in verse nine. He says, I will make those who are of the synagogue of Satan who claim to be Jews though they are not, but are liars, I will make them come and fall down at your feet and acknowledge that I have loved you. Now, those are some strong words from Jesus about some people who were in this church. And this group of people, he calls the synagogue of Satan and he calls them liars. 
you want to know what upsets Jesus is to try to discourage and deceive his people. The same way you'd be upset if someone tried to discourage or deceive your children. He gets upset. And he got so upset, he said, they are a synagogue of Satan and he called them liars. And there are times when we look out at the world and we look at what's happening, we need to be able to say, that's of Satan, that is wrong. Every time false teachers are marked, every time uh, lies are identified and false teaching is identified, every time that happens, truth is magnified and Jesus is glorified. Even though it might be uncomfortable to do, that's what Jesus did and that's what we need to do. And so that's what he's doing here. He's just saying, look, these people are a synagogue of Satan. They're trying to deceive you. And they were weak and discouraged. And it was actually coming from two sources. It was coming from within the church because when he said they claim to be Jews, but they're not, it was people that were saying, hey, I know you follow Jesus, but you need to come back to this old law. This old law that, that people misinterpreted and wore people down and, and put these burdens on people they were never meant to carry. You need to come back to that and leave this whole freedom in Christ thing and come back over to this side. That's what was happening. They were getting that discouragement. And then they had the culture pressing in against them saying, uh, you need to go ahead and worship Jesus, that's fine. But you also need to worship Caesar. You need to do that too. And so they ended up being discouraged. And with that pressure, it would have been easy just to give in. The same is true today. It's so easy to give in and take cues from culture. But Jesus believes you can stay strong. And the way he rewards that is he provides opportunities for us who do stay strong. It was common in Jewish uh, literature and Jewish history uh, for prof in prophetic teaching that uh, you would say things like your enemies are going to fall down at your feet. He was saying the ones that are discouraging you, uh, eventually they're going to come around and they're going to see that I'm right and they're going to see that I'm Lord and they're going to see that I love you. We can take comfort in the same thing because Jesus tells us, so we don't have to be the one uh, going out for vindication because Jesus said eventually everybody is going to confess him as Lord. It might be too late, but every knee is gonna bow. Every head's gonna bow. Every knee, everybody, every tongue is eventually gonna confess that Jesus is Lord. So what, that's what he's saying to them. All your enemies, they're eventually gonna see that you were right. And you might look out at the world and be so discouraged, but eventually... They're going to see that Jesus was right. Our job is not to get vindication. Our job is to warn. We should do that. But Jesus is the one who vindicates. Then he says, since you, have set, since you have kept my command to endure patiently, I will also keep you from the hour of trial that is going to come on the whole world to test the inhabitants of the earth. And that hour of trial is generally understood to be... Um, a period of tribulation that was about to come on the church. And Jesus is saying, I'm going to keep you from that. You won't be destroyed because of it. Jesus promises them protection because of their perseverance. Now we're blessed to live at a time 
when we've yet to experience this kind of harsh persecution. But when and if that happens, here's what we can take comfort in. There's nothing they could take from us that would cause us to leave the safety of being in Christ, even our very lives. They can't take that away. They couldn't take it away from people then, and they can't take it away from people now. So if some point in the future, our children, our grandchildren, our great-grandchildren have to endure persecution, they're going to need to know they might take my life, but they can't take my soul. They can't take my relationship from Christ. That is secure, and nobody can take that away. And that's what Jesus is communicating to them and to us, that we are protected by him. And in the closing verses of this letter, he says, I'm coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. The one who is victorious, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will they leave it. I will write on them the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven from my God. And I will also write on them my new name. Now he's saying, my return is soon. Now nobody knows when Jesus is coming back. It just says soon. If it was soon then, it's even sooner now. Like I, I didn't look, I should look up the Greek word for what, what he used for soon, but uh, it probably means soon. <laughs> and so I never was compelled to look it up because it was like, well, it probably means soon. It doesn't mean like, you know, you're gonna know or a million years from now. It just means soon. It's sooner now than it was then. And so we need to stay ready and be ready. That area of Turkey was prone to earthquakes. So people were very familiar with earthquake would come, it would destroy the city. They would have to move outside the city. Then they would come back and they would rebuild it. And what he's saying to them is, you're gonna be in a place you never have to leave. And there's gonna be pillars that won't be destroyed and you'll never have to leave again. He's giving them an assurance of heaven and he's saying, the way you have to leave this city all the time, that'll never happen again. And he had no words of criticism, no words of condemnation. It doesn't mean they were perfect or sinless. It means they needed encouragement. You know what history tells us about this church in Philadelphia? This is not in scripture, but this is historically, this church in Philadelphia became a church that started other churches. They planted other churches. In fact, they planted a church very far away from them, all the way in India. That's what history tells us. So they would have gone from the east to the west and plant, or from the west to the east and planted in India. So this church, so John's writing this about 100 AD and for 1200 more years. So do you, in the 1300s, uh, this church continued that long for 1,200 more years. And for 1,200 years, in spite of earthquakes, in spite of persecution, they were still sending missionaries out to plant churches. And they stayed faithful to Jesus. They had this strategic location. They had this open door. And 1,200 years of encouragement uh, was realized where people, people could look back 1,200 years and say, it's in my family that there were people that heard from Jesus 1,200 years ago, and then they, they told the next generation, hey, God provided an open door. This church is gonna have an impact on the world. 
And then they tell the next generation, God provided an open door and this church is going to have an impact on the world. And it did for 1,200 years. And they, they did undergo persecution. But later, in around, around 700, Islam was founded and all of a sudden uh, there were, uh, they, Christians had to fight to stay Christians. And if they didn't become Muslim, they were killed. But when all that was happening, all the other seven churches, the six other churches besides Philadelphia fell one at a time. They were slaughtered, killed, church didn't exist. Slaughtered, killed, church didn't exist pretty quick. The last one to fall was Philadelphia. They were still there. They were still fighting for what was right. After other churches had given up, they still refused to compromise and refused to deny Jesus. And all of that came after Jesus said, I know your deeds and you are staying strong. And if he can do that with them, what could he do with us? I mean, how long, how long will our church last? Will there be people that are many generations from now when all of us are dead, all of our kids, that doesn't sound very encouraging, but <laughs> we're gone, our kids are gone, our grandkids are gone, like generations in the future when us and anybody that we know today, we're all gone, will they look back and say, hey, there was this church that we can point back to that my parents found Jesus there and they told me, and then they say, my grandparents found Jesus there and they told, they told my parents and then they told me. And then generation after generation, could Devoted City Church celebrate a 1200th anniversary? Wouldn't that be awesome? And if we're in a, a way we can see that, I don't know, we don't know what, exactly what we can see, but what if we could see that? What if we could say, I was a part of that and we invested in the next generation and we handed it off. How many churches will our church plant? We've planted four churches all on our own, all with your money in Ecuador. And I, I've been to three of those churches. We have planted churches in countries that we can't say where we planted them publicly. And you gave the money, we planted them, we celebrate it, but nobody knows where because I don't know who's here, I don't know who's watching, and we're not gonna get somebody uh, persecuted for no reason just because we wanna pat ourselves on the back and put a, a dot on a map. But you've done that. You've planted other churches around the world where people are hearing the gospel. And it all starts with encouragement. That's how this church lasted for 1,200 years. Jesus encouraged them. And he gives us the same encouragement. Not just a, at a boy, at a girl, but real spiritual encouragement. Because you need it. I need it. When Jesus was in his ministry, people were very discouraged. Because they were in a religious system that uh, it beat people up. You never felt like you measured up. You never felt like you did enough. Anybody ever been in a church like that? You just never felt like you were doing enough. Couldn't do it. And here's what Jesus says to them. In Matthew 11, verse 28 and following, he says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That's what he says to us. You need encouragement, you can find it in Jesus. Don't wanna give you a challenge this week. I want you 
to think about who can you encourage? Like there's somebody in your life. You may see them every night before you go to bed. There's some, you may see them every day at the breakfast table. You may see them at work or wherever. They are discouraged and they need encouragement so that God can work through you to encourage them and who knows what that will do. But also pray and ask God, where do I need encouragement? Like ask yourself, where do I need encouragement and ask God for it? And what I want to do today is just, I want to, we're just going to end, uh, I'm going to end this message with just us praying. And even if you're, you're watching online, I want to pray over you too, but let's just all close our eyes. And if you need encouragement and you would like to have a prayer of encouragement prayed over you, just, just raise your hand and I'm going to pray from up here. Just, just raise your hand. I see people raising their hands. That's so let me pray for those of you that are saying, I need this. God, we pray for those who need encouragement. We know you give it. Father, we pray for those who are struggling with life, struggling with relationships, struggling with uh, family and kids, and they don't know what to say. They don't know what to do, but we know we can get encouragement from you. And God, we pray that you show us the open doors. God, I pray for the people that have their hands up that are ready to quit, are ready to walk out, are ready to give up. I pray that right now in a special way, your Holy Spirit encourages them so they can stay strong. They can keep going. They can see the opportunities that you've placed in front of them. And God, I pray for the rest of us to have eyes to see starting right now, the people who need to hear words of encouragement whether that's our spouse, our kids, somebody we interact with on a regular basis. God, open up our eyes and let us first speak words of encouragement before anything else. God, we thank you for the encouragement you give us in Jesus and may many generations from now be encouraged because of this church full of people that love you. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to the Devoted City Church Podcast. If you liked today's episode, rate us and subscribe so others can be encouraged too. We invite you to join us on a weekend at one of our locations or online at devotedcity.com.